0: The first person to survive Alzheimer's disease is out there, and the Alzheimer's Association is going to make it happen. But we won't get there without you. Visit ALZ.org to join the fight. Star Cable, and Exxon TV, as well as our vast and growing family of broadcast affiliates right across Canada, the United States, Central America, the Caribbean, South America, the Pacific Rim, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. My email address, exxon at X-Zone Radio TV dot com. On MSN Messenger, Radio TV at hotmail.com and our website, TV.com. My first guest tonight is Lucy Wyatt, and we're going to be talking to Lucy about her new book entitled Approaching Chaos, Could an Ancient Archetype Save 21st Century Civilization? Now, O Nation, we all know there can be little doubt that our 21st century civilization is facing economic, ecological, and spiritual meltdown. You can see that every day just by turning on your local... Radio News Channel, your television news channel, or the front page of any paper. Now, in this intriguing new book, Lucy Wyatt takes a highly original and relevant look at just what we can do to reverse this very real and potentially disastrous situation. Joining me now from the United Kingdom is Lucy Wyatt. Hey, Lucy, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thank you. Hi. Uh, Lucy, with the events that are happening in Libya, the events that we saw happen last week in Egypt, the ecological mess this planet is in, the financial ruins that many governments, including the United States of America, is is, is looking face on, can we actually reverse all this and can we save ourselves? Not yet. Not <laughs> it's yet. It's to get a, wo- a lot worse. How actually. much worse can it get, Lucy. Well,
1: I don't know the one, the really big one, Rob. The really big one mm-hmm. is if there were a repeat of the 1859 Carrington event.
0: Now, what was that? Your,
1: do you think your listeners are familiar with that? That well, is, what, what it was basically a big solar flare mm-hmm. issue, a big coronal mass ejection from the sun, um, like an aurora borealis, yes. northern lights, but on a huge scale. And in, and it came down as far as the tropics in in 1859. This particular event, which mm-hmm. was observed by a man called Carrington. And at that time, all it did was take out a few telegraph lines. This time, mm-hmm. if it, it happened on the same scale, the, in 2008, the National, American and National Academies of Science produced a report to say that it could knock out the electrical grids and take four to ten years to repair. My I imagine that—no electricity for four to ten years.
0: And not only that, i am sure it would also disrupt any uh, satellite communications that we have. The GPS uh, systems would be down. Uh, would there also be a shifting of the poles this time?
1: Well, that—that that could happen as as well, but it doesn't. That doesn't have to be included mm. in the scenario. But I mean, you, you know, you just imagine—a I'm yeah. huge hit on our infrastructure. How would we cope? You know, what sort of civilized state we we'll be in uh, uh, with, if, if that were to occur? So that's the kind of thing that will really make us sit up and, and, and think about things.
0: That is truly scary, especially truly when, scary. when we see how everyone depends on modern day communications. Uh, we're doing this show now sure. on the Internet sure. using uh, using broadcast transmissions, satellite transmissions. And if this was to happen, or should I say when this is going to happen, all yeah. the world as we know yeah. it, it will be totally changed.
1: Absolutely. I mean we need we need electricity mm-hmm. to run the pumps at the petrol stations. Yeah. We need electricity to run our, our sewage, our, our freshwater pumps. We need electricity to to power absolutely every aspect to keep our food fresh. Yeah. You know, there would be no food being 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 trans, transported. It's you going know, the to be whole very thing scary. would collapse.
0: Lucy stand by. You and I have to take our first commercial break ex Nation. Lucy Wyatt's our special guest. An interesting book, Approaching Chaos, Could an Ancient Archetype Save 21st-Century Civilization? Lucy's website is www.approachingchaos.co.uk. I'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. That's great, it starts with an Earth. Snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not a... And Lucy Wyatt is our special guest this hour, exonation. Nation. We're talking about Lucy's new book, Approaching Chaos, Could an Ancient Archetype Save 21st Century Civilization? Her website is www.approachingchaos.co.uk. Lucy, what made you write a book about approaching chaos?
1: Well, I did start off, Robert, at quite a different point. I I started off um, when my youngest child began school at the age of Mm -hmm. three, thinking that I was actually interested in the origins of alternative medicines like homeopathy, and that was going to take me back to the ancient Greeks. And it was as I was kind of digging around and thinking about that and researching it, I became aware that there was a whole big story to do with civilization that isn't really covered. And I decided to, to dig a bit deeper, frankly.
0: In your book, you talk about about uh, disaster striking in the fourth millennium b uh, c Can you tell us a little more about that?
1: Well, nobody knows quite what that particular event was. It could have been a meteor or something mm-hmm. hitting hitting the world. And the consequences of it were that in some parts of the world, beaches massively extended. and other parts of the world, forests on the edge of coast were suddenly submerged. So there was this very dramatic shift. And it could have been the time when the actual biblical flood happened because rivers burst their banks and seas obviously went all, 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 all o- over the place. Yeah. and um, And it caused tremendous terror and panic and was the... The stimulus for massive migrations of people at that at that point, a huge dispersal of of different groups all over the planet
0: how many times throughout history, based on your research, has this world nearly come to a total oblivious end
1: i I, I think that was probably one of one of the the most significant ones. I mean, I, I only really researched back as far as the end of the last ice age. So I only go back about 10,000 BC because that's the bit that covers the introduction of, of, of civilization, of cities. And who, who knows, there may well have been disasters um, b- before that. I mean, certainly there have been other events that have been very dramatic. I mean, for example, the shift between the Bronze Age to the Iron Age at around 1200 BC, which was possibly the result of an Icelandic volcano causing famine i mean that was the more usual scenario and there's quite a few evidence of of that kind of of, of thing happening you know around 22000 bc there was another um possibly volcano that caused uh, famine and and disruption and and so forth but the the one at the end of the fourth millennium that was a really massive massive event which which was very very dramatic indeed
0: lucy let me ask you this how would you see the difference between today's attitude and the ancients' philosophy towards life?
1: Well, one of the things that I was particularly concerned to to explore and to write mm-hmm. about was that we do seem to have a self-destruct button um, you know, in the way we do carry on with our environmental destruction and, and so forth. And it, it occurred to me that we are really following a very sort of Roman military-style way of thinking, that the end justifies the means. And I became aware as I was studying that that the the non Roman, the more Egyptian, the more of this ancient civilization way, actually looked at how you lived, was as important as why you did something. Um, the, the Stoics, the um, the um, philosophers who who came later, who particularly Greek ones, they they followed on that kind of philosophy. That they saw everything as interconnected, as part of a of a web. And the Native Americans too, they also have the same philosophy that we're all were were of the earth and not on the earth. That what what we do to to the earth affects us. And uh, and it's really understanding that interconnectedness that I think makes a difference between our modern day rather r- Roman attitude of you know m- um, military style thinking of you know everything's justified by getting to the end, and you can create as much environmental sure. destruction if you've got the profit line going um, and that our rather more sympathetic way of looking at seeing interconnection everywhere.
0: With what you're seeing in the news today, with uh, with Omar Gaddafi now saying that he's not going to step down, he doesn't care that his son is basically saying, "Hey, guys, cut off the civil unrest, or else it's going to be a bloodbath."
1: Yeah.
0: We, we we see the four uh, the four American citizens that were uh, whose uh, yacht was pirated now have been found dead at the hands sure. of the Somali pirates. We're, You know, it seems that if we're not looking at the plight of the terrorist attacks on North America and throughout Europe, there's always something negative in the news. What does this yeah. tell you? Does this tell you as a person who, who wrote a book on approaching chaos is that we're nearly there and we're going to suffer like hell when it happens?
1: what do you mean in terms of thing, things getting more social unrest and, and yes. that, that kind of thing mm-hmm. oh i'm i'm sure that there's going to be more social unrest i mean after all the thing that's been driving the north african uh changes in tunisia and egypt and and bahrain and places is is very much the the economy as much as anything you, you know there's this there's this massive pressure on on particularly on food production and of uh, food price inflation and I'm sure that that is going to get worse. I have no, no doubt about that. You know, climate change is going to affect that big time.
0: I also, uh, I, I also know that there was a massive, uh, massive sun ejection. When was it, last week? With the, with yeah. the, uh, the size of Jupiter. Yeah. And, you know, is, is this the sun telling us, hey, something is happening, I'm getting ready to blow my lid once again?
1: Could, it could be. I mean, they had been saying that the solar cy- current solar cycle was was very quiet, mm-hmm. and um, people have been making comparisons with uh, the the Maunder Minimum that happened, I think, in the Middle Ages or whenever, and that the same thing happened then. The sun was very quiet, and then it had a big there So that that could that could be that the sun is kind of building up to something absolutely massive. And the point is, is we can't ignore nature. That's no. the point.
0: We certainly can't. There's a lot of things we can uh, make a difference about, but when it comes to yeah. nature at such a significant level, we just have to—we just have to be prepared, I guess.
1: Quite exactly, and that's what ancient civilization was able to do. It was able to prepare itself and could weather a lot of change.
0: Well, why do ancient origins of cities really matter in today's society?
1: The origins of it matter in terms of going back to how they came about because actually when you really research the whole issue very carefully, Mm -hmm. you can see that the story we've told ourselves doesn't actually quite stack up. We've told ourselves the story that it all comes out of a farming experiment, but actually the evidence doesn't support that. Cities, I think, were the cause of farming to change, not the other way around. And the things that actually started cities weren't marketplaces, they weren't trading points. It were They were the priests who started cities and cities were pre-planned from the start. They were surveyed and laid out in mm-hmm. either quarters or grids or, or circ- circular patterns. And the point is, is that if you really look into it and you look at who it was and what was going on, there's a quite a different story there. And that's the thing we ought to kind of sit up and take notice about and, and um, reflect on who these priestly elites were and what they were doing.
0: Can you explain to the ExoNation the connection between shamanism and the pharaohs?
1: Well, quite. Because my point about my book is to actually explain that what these priests were were sh- were shaman, Um and I don't know how familiar your listeners are with with shamanic practice, but they they were um people who could go into out of body experiences mm-hmm. and um, access the the ancestors, access the spirit world. And bring back concrete information, concrete knowledge, in in, in my view. And, it, and what my where my book is different from other books is that I am saying that the pharaohs were part of that whole shamanic process. That they had special festivals, in particular one called the Heb Sed festival, where the pharaoh was um, notionally buried, although he was still alive, inside a pyramid for for three days while he underwent an out-of-body I- experience and in fact I think there are very good grounds for suggesting that the pyramid texts um, or the book of the dead as it's called mm-hmm. which are written on the inside of some of the periods were actually, which talk about the journey of the pharaoh's soul were actually about his, his soul in life not while he is dead and it was a 19th century interpretation of these that, that has misled us because in the 19th century we didn't understand about shamanic ritual and we didn't associate pharaohs with, with shaman.
0: So, what were the pyramids then? There's a lot of theories out there. One of the theories uh, that is put out by Christopher Dunn is that they were yeah. that they were basically uh, housing uh, giant-sized power plants.
1: Yes, I, I'm very familiar with the work of Chris Dunn. I think he's 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 um he he's really pushed the whole um, subject much yes. further forwards and really given us some very good ideas to think about. And I have no doubt there's aspects of, of what he says which is totally correct. The thing that struck me, though, is that as far as I can see, yes, they did know how to manipulate electrical forces, and yes, they did use electricity, but I think they used it for very limited purposes, and I think they mostly used it for, for ri- ritual reasons. And I think that particularly um, if they were stimulating the Great pi- um, Great Pyramid at Giza into becoming this power plant. I think it was possibly during the this Heb Sed festival when the pharaoh was actually inside the sarcophagus in the king's chamber to enhance his experience. I don't think I mean they weren't powering up toasters and irons and you know all the things that we use in our modern. They didn't have fridges and freezers, you know. I think their their need and use of electricity mm-hmm. was very very specific and very limited.
0: So, were the were the uh, pyramids? actually the resting place of the, of the pharaohs, were they a powerhouse? Uh, power, uh, power were they a, a way to get to the stars? Were they a stargate? What exactly are they? Are they just what they seem to be, monuments?
1: No, I think they were stargates. I think they, uh, because what one of the things, I, I definitely don't think they were tombs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that they um, were, were definitely for astral planing. Um, there are lots of different reasons for thinking that. One of the things I go into in the book is what I consider to be the true meaning of the word alchemy. And I take the word alchemy to be from an Egyptian um, word base, meaning kemi, the fixed stars. And because so much of what we understand about the Egyptians comes through the Greeks. And I think what the Egyptians did is I think they used a form of powdered gold, a form of processed gold. And I think that that the Greeks observed that, this powdered gold Mm -hmm. which was used in the ritual, and they confused alchemy, the process, with the outcome because they didn't know about the rest of it. They didn't know about the astral planing bit. All right, so, so what's come down to us is a misunderstanding of alchemy. Okay, when we, we've got to
0: take a commercial break. Please stand by when we come back. Let's try and straighten out this misconception. Exonation, Nation, Lucy Wyatt's our special guest, www.approachingchaos.co.uk. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exone, And I'll be back on the other side of the news as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. On MSN Messenger, Exone Radio TV at Hotmail.com, and our website, www.exoneradio TV.com. Why do I feel like I'm losing control? Where is the money? Welcome back, everyone. Lucy Wyatt's our special guest. She's the author of Approaching Chaos. Could an ancient archetype save 21st century civilization? It's a good question. Lucy, thanks very much for joining us tonight here on the X Zone. Pleasure. How can we? How can we turn some of the myths around and the misconceptions and set the record straight? What would be the number one misconception to set straight?
1: Oh, that's a trick. That's a tricky one. Um, I think religion has a lot to do with Mm, with the whole thing. And one of the things I do focus on are are the origins of monotheism, belief in one God, because I do think that has caused us a lot of problems. I really do. Um, And it doesn't matter which of the three Abrahamic faiths you're talking about. They're all problematic. Uh, And I think that's also also encouraged this whole attitude of the end justifies the means. You know, the Mm -hmm. Inquisition in the 6th to 17th century could torture you for the sake of your sins and, and uh, you know, carry out stuff like that. And, um, whereas the ancient religion had more respect for, for, for the environment and the world. You know, you wouldn't want to pollute the Nile because you might upset the god of the Nile. So we did think about things a bit more carefully, I, I think, in the, in the ancient world. Does, I mean, that kind of attitude needs to come back.
0: Does this tell us that ignorance is bliss?
1: Not necessarily. Ignorance can be bliss in the sense that people become more intuitive. Um, but I think there's there's nothing wrong with an informed mind. Mm-hmm. And in fact, um, one of the issues I do look at in my book is this difference between free will and fatalism and the concepts of destiny. And I do come up with some ideas that the ancients believed, which were that if you had consciousness, if you had awareness, you could alter your destiny. Otherwise you were just stuck to the wheel of fate and whatever happened to you happened to you and you had to learn your lessons. But if you could, you could raise your consciousness, you could actually become aware of what lessons you needed to learn before you needed to learn them and learn them quicker and not have to, to go through some very painful experiences. So I think that's kind of an interesting attitude that they had.
0: How does your book differ from other books that discuss sp- the spirituality of the ancients?
1: I think one of the things I was really keen to do, Rob, was to keep my book very grounded Mm -hmm. and based on a lot of uh, factual stuff. Um, obviously, I've, I'm putting together a, a proposition. You know that's very difficult to, sure. to test, especially when you're talking about esoteric things. But, but I wanted to put it into a, a very good historical context with with a uh, with a lot of uh, I use the work of archaeologists and other academics and prehistorians and and things like that. And I think it's very, very important to to be un- able to understand how. How societies were structured and, and what the physical evidence is. So, I do think my book is is um, key in that. In, and I and I take a lot of the I look at the sweep of history. You no, know, from the end of the ice age all the way through to the modern day, so that you can really understand it in a very big picture sense. I do think that's a bit a bit different. I'd like to think.
0: Lucy, whatever happened to the knowledge of the ancients, uh, where did we as a race decide that, hey, this was garbage, we're going to try and do it our own way? Why didn't we stick to the tried and true?
1: We didn't stick to it because we weren't allowed to stick to it. We didn't get the chance to stick to it. I mean, basically, in a a brief sense, Mm -hmm. the Egyptians were very worried about, particularly the Romans, the Indo-European tribes who started to invade Egypt around 600 BC, starting with the Persians and then the Greeks, the Romans got there eventually, because they knew that these were more militaristic people who didn't have that spirituality, who didn't have that sensitivity um, for the, for the world, and so they deliberately um, passed their knowledge on in secret and kept it secret. So actually, I think, particularly for the last nearly two thousand years, we've been in darkness. We've been in the dark ages. You know that knowledge has been hidden from us, and it has only been slowly coming out in drib- in dribs and drabs. You, you know, particularly through um, people like the Knights Templars and the Freemasons, they, they managed to tap into, and the Hermeticists, they managed to tap into some of that ancient ancient knowledge. And the alchemists, too. Now Carl Jung, was a, he understood a lot about all of this. Um, he was very interested in alchemy. And Isaac Newton, the father of science, mm-hmm. he was an alchemist, and he understood a lot. In fact, I have a theory that actually Isaac Newton made his discoveries through his studying of ancient texts, about gravity and all of that. And the whole story about the apple falling was just a cover story. Um, he was famous for having set fire to his um, rooms in King's College, Cambridge, because his alchem- alchemical furnace caught fire. Um, and alchemy was um, a, a punishable offence at the time. You know, He had to do it in secret. So I think there's a lot to be said for for that kind of um, line of transmission.
0: How do we know that the knowledge that the ancients had was was actually good and could actually be used in today's society, today's world?
1: Well, you have to look at the physical evidence, don't you? I mean, nobody has really come up with a very satisfactory explanation of how they were able to move the big stones. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, take take the Great Pyramid at Giza, for, for example. Um, I think there's possibly two explanations about that. One, that the the blocks which the outside is is cased in, um, they may well have been a a form of poured concrete. I think there's some grounds for for believing Mm -hmm. that to be the case. That makes sense. But But that doesn't explain the granite in the king's chamber. The granite came in whole blocks 500 miles away from the quarry in Aswan. I've seen it myself. And those blocks were, how would you pull that over sand? You know, they must have known a way, of. In, I think, of interfering at a sub-molecular level with with gravitational forces. So, so, so where e- do you think
0: they, where do you think they received the knowledge and the know-how to do this? There's a lot of people who think that extraterrestrials had something to do with this.
1: Well, that's where I think the shamanism comes in, you see. I think they use shamanic ritual, these out-of-body experiences, for practical purposes. I think that was one of the things that's so interesting about the ancients, is they had this they didn't see a division between Mm -hmm. objective and subjective of earth and spirit they saw it as all interconnected as above so below that's the great hermetic um, dictum so they used used knowledge gained in that way for very practical purposes and um, but we've we've lost touch with that you know we think you have to be cut off to be scientific and it's not, not necessarily true you can live in a different way and still be um, knowledgeable.
0: So, is it is it your is it your theory that the the ancients used an out of body experience technique to go to different realms, to find yes. out to find out the way uh, the way to do certain things, and then come back yes. and then implement them? Yes,
1: yes. In my in my book, I quote the work of um, of a current um, American, Jeremy Narby who he undertook some shamanic experiences as part of his PhD mm-hmm. uh, research from Stanford University uh, um, and he, he, in, in Central America. And he came up with these kind of hallucinatory uh, giant snakes that appeared like the DNA matrix. Right. And, and he felt that he was communicating on a very strange DNA level with them. And so it's, that kind of experience just makes you think, well, maybe... Maybe that's what the ancients were doing as well, so yeah i do I do think that's what what was going on absolutely
0: fascinating, truly fascinating <laughs> How could we apply the knowledge of the ancients in today's society
1: well that that is that is quite difficult, but I mean for, we could start with those shaman that still exist i mean they're now in sort of Peruvian jungles and siberian you know Mongolia mm. out of Mongolia or wherever um and we could take what they say seriously. That that would be one very good thing. Um and we can also all of us can start to change our attitudes. We can all start to saying to think, Can I really justify doing this? How I do this, is that is that going to have a direct impact on, on my environment? Or can I go go about what I need to do in a less destructive kind of way? You know, do I really need to eat that McDonald's or whatever it hmm. is? And um, and we can all think about the knock-on consequences of, of our decisions every day, and 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 live differently. You know, we don't have to re- wait for the world to change; we can change before the world changes us. So yeah, I do think there's there's um, and and I think if we go back to the ancients, that they had a whole way of looking at sac- sacred spaces, or sacred geometry, sacred architecture. Um, they understood all these these in, interconnections and their use of medicine, their use of whatever whatever it was, cooking, cuisine, you know, that it was all there in the ancient world, but with this ultimate respect for for the essence, for, for spirit. And th- that's one thing that we could do well to, mm-hmm. to rediscover without a doubt.
0: While doing the research for your book, Approaching Chaos, did you find any correlation to what the ancients had done, what they had... Um, referenced to uh, and the impending catastrophe that so many people are talking about on December the twenty first, twenty twelve.
1: Well, to be honest, Rob, I decided to steer clear of that one because, I mean, I have no doubt that you know twenty twelve could be a very significant mm-hmm. date, and the Mayan calendar. I did, I did come across it, obviously, in, in my research, and it's very interesting that, that fourth millennium. Um, disaster at um, the end of the 4th millennium BC, that's the start of the Mayan calendar. So that's kind of significant in in, it, in itself, so um, yes, but I didn't really want to tie myself down too much to, to a specific prediction or forecast, mm-hmm. because actually, you know, these things need to be thought about now. This is the time to start thinking about change, and this is the time to start making, making those ad- adjustments. And whether, whether 2012 happens in December next year or whether it's already starting to happen, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, that's look right. at this dreadful earthquake that's mm-hmm. happened in um, New, Zealand, New Zealand at yes. the moment. That could be part of the whole thing. We don't if,
0: know. If the ancients were so smart, if they had it all together, how come their way of living hasn't survived the centuries?
1: Well, I think you have to... One of the things I do write about, which I think is so key, is they had this total understanding of reincarnation. And that's one of the things that we have lost, and it was deliberately destroyed for us in the 2nd century AD by the early Catholic Church. They got rid of any ideas that you could come back in a a different body, but Mm -hmm. as a human being, and they really didn't want you to think that you had another go. The point about it is, is that we have... We have free will on this planet, this is what people say, we have free will. And so we have the opportunity to learn certain lessons. And what has happened is that the less educated people, the less aware people, the people with, without the consciousness, like the Romans, the ancient Greeks or whatever, they become more powerful. And so those people with the wisdom, with the knowledge, have had to withdraw. But that's not to say that they don't reincarnate at some point. That's not to say that they aren't there. But what they're saying is that, is that you need to live your life to learn your lessons. So you have to go through these painful things, these mm-hmm. wars and all the rest of it. Because you idiots, you've got to get to the point where you understand it for yourselves. So they're, they're where, this is why I talk about it as being an archetype. That archetype is there forever. And so we can tap into that wisdom. We can tap into that knowledge, that way of thinking, that way of living at any point we choose to. It's always there for us. And that's the whole point about spirituality, isn't it? There's no actual linear time. You know, it is all part of the time-space continuum. It's all parallel universes. It doesn't actually matter. We think we're in linear time, but, but it's all about what, we, what our souls learn. That's what really matters.
0: Lucy, how has writing Approaching Chaos changed your view on life?
1: It it ha- helped me to um, really get to grips with some very strong historical facts mm-hmm. that I wasn't aware of before. Because really, what I've written is an alternative history, which challenges things that we were, were taught at school. You know, at school we were taught that cities grew out of farm farming, and I've now realised that that's not actually true. And it's, it's enabled me to kind of challenge all, all these, these precon, preconceptions. And it's given me tremendous respect for, for the ancients. And also tremendous hope as well, because that's why I say this archetype could save us. Because if everything did collapse and we wouldn't go back to living in caves, we wouldn't know how to live in a cave. But we could reconstruct cities if we use the archetype. And we could still live in harmony. That's, that's the really key Key thing, it just helped me focus my mind on these on these big issues, big time.
0: Lucy, you and I have to take our final break uh, coming up. Let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can buy your book before we come back to the next uh, segment.
1: Sure. A- Amazon. It's for sale on Amazon um, in the U.S. and Amazon in, in the U.K. or Amazon.co, mm-hmm. U.K. and .com um, or my website. Uh,
0: www.approachingchaos.co.uk. Sure. All right, Lucy White and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break, Nation. Once again, for more information on Approaching Chaos, could an ancient archetype save 21st century civilian civilization? Not civilian civilization. Gotta get these glasses fixed. I swear. Let's try this again. <laughs> approaching Chaos could the, an ancient archetype save 21st century civilization? The author of this book, Lucy Wyatt, is my guest this hour. www.approachingchaos.co.uk My name's Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. Lucy and I will be back after this short break here in The Exxon from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Still alive If woman Can survive They may Fly In the year 35, 35, Ain't gonna need to tell the truth Tell no lies Everything you think, do And say is in the bill you took today. In the year 45, 45. Ain't gonna need your teeth, won't need your eyes. You won't find a thing to chew.
1: Nobody's gonna
0: look at you. In the Lucy White is our guest this hour. She's the author of Approaching Chaos. Her website is www.... Approachingchaos.co.uk and her book is also available at amazon.com. First of all, Lucy, thanks very much for joining us this hour. It's been great talking to you. A little scary, I might add, but it's been great talking to you.
1: <laughs> and what, my pleasure, too. What would you
0: like people to leave with after reading your book?
1: Optimism. I think they, people need... Because the part of the problem with talking about 2012, whatever it is, people mm-hmm. do get very depressed and there's no reason for that. I mean, I think this this ancient model is is ultimately very uplifting. And to reconnect with it would be the most wonderful experience, you know, to live with sacred geometry in our buildings Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and respect for our livestock, you know, respect for the fact that they have souls too. I think these would be tremendous steps forward.
0: You know, when you talk to people about sacred geometry, when you talk to people about the knowledge of the ancients they think you're a little far out in left field a part of the <laughs> Wobo crowd how do you change the how do you change their way of thinking to understanding that you're serious and that there is merit in what you're saying
1: well that that's that's a that's a really tough one and and that's why I was so concerned to be very properly so ser- ser- seriously researched mm-hmm. thoroughly researched um you know because i i was born in the university town of cambridge in in england and with its very strong academic um, traditions. So I understand the importance of of proper references and so forth. So I want people to feel that 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 my my sources are very uh, mm-hmm. solid. It's my interpretations which will challenge them. And to be honest, I've had good I've had good feedback so far, you know, from people I thought would be skeptical. And I'm very interested in in opening their minds to to different ways of Ways of thinking. So I think it can happen. I think people are looking for answers. You know, I really do.
0: One last question for you, Lucy. Do you think that in today's society we need the dogma of religion hounding us?
1: No, no, we don't. But people make up their own minds about that. Mm-hmm. And if they want the crutch of religion, if they want to have to rely on it, that's their choice. And, you know, I'm quite happy for them to do whatever they want. But if they want to think openly and freely, then no, they don't. They don't need to, to. They can find their own path. And there's plenty of, of stuff out there. You know, B- Buddhism is a very good way to freeing your mind and thinking about things differently. And you don't have to follow the, the monotheistic, mm-hmm. one-god people at all.
0: Well, Lucy, I want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. It's been a great pleasure. To you, much success. You deserve thank it. Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again when the next time you're visiting us here in the Exxon.
1: Thank you very much, Rob. That's you been take, my pleasure.
0: My, you take care, Lucy. Great talking to you. Exonation, Nation Lucy Wyatt has been my guest this hour. She is the author of Approaching Chaos Could an Ancient Archetype Save 21st Century Civilization? Her website is www.approachingchaos.co.uk, and her book is available at amazon.com. I'll be back on the other side of this news break at the top of the hour at six and a half minutes past as we continue from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Our website is TV.com. And don't forget, if you've missed any of our shows, you can always listen to them free of charge at www.xonepodcast.com. And we're also on Apple iTunes. We'll be back on the other side of the news. Don't go away.